So welcome to another episode of Talking with Apples. Today we have our guest, Robert Clegg. He is an engineering lead here in South Africa for DVT. And today we're going to be talking about the state of mobile development in 2021, something that's been probably on most people's minds and something that's quite interesting for many companies these days. Um, so yeah, welcome, Robert. Cool. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. So I kind of just want to start out and kind of look at what is mobile development in 2021? And I think there's quite a few, there's quite a few topics to kind of go through um, in this respect, where I think there's a lot of people talk about native development, and I think a lot of people talk about cross-platform and all this multi-platform stuff. Um, maybe we can just kind of start off to, um, th uh, getting your thoughts on pretty much what is the, the landscape of mobile development within 2021. Uh, yeah, sure. So I think um, it really depends on your your needs, um, being from a business perspective or even from a, just an indie developer and trying to get your, your apps out there to deciding on where you put your focus on. So this can be either native or cross-platform or even um, more hybrid solutions. So I think I think it's changing very, very quickly, actually. And I think um, all of these new technologies that have come up are starting to gain a lot of traction as well, which might uh, catch people off guard, maybe, um, especially if you're not paying attention to it. Um, things like SwiftUI or Jetpack Compose or even um, your cross-platform stuff like Flutter is also gaining a lot of traction. So, yeah, very exciting. And I think uh, it's going to, the landscape will look different in a few years' time. And I think it's starting now. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really cool because I think what's happening is, is that back in the days when, um, I don't know, maybe like five years ago or six years ago, like mobile development was pretty much like Android and iOS native. Um, and there were some like cross-platform solutions, maybe like the Xamarin's or the Ionics and stuff like that, but they weren't very mature at the time. So I think a lot of people went into the mobile development landscape with saying, you know, native is probably going to be your best solutions for anything. Um, but I think obviously in 2021, we have things like you mentioned, like the Flutters, um, we have PWA and we have React Native. Um, but we also like from the native side, we actually have a bunch of cool things happening in where we have this whole declarative UI thing that's coming up and you spoke about um Swift UI and Jetpack Compose. So maybe we can deep dive a little bit into that um, and give me your thoughts a little bit on, on maybe let's start off with Swift UI um, versus UIKit. I think that for, for iOS developers, that's going to be um, the big comparison here. Um, but I think it's yeah. also a bit of a mindset change. Absolutely. So um, it is a mindset change. Uh, it's also, it takes time. It's just, uh, For me, it was you know quite a learning curve because you we're so sort of being, I'd say, almost conditioned with UI kit, you know, how we just make a simple button, for example. You know, you say you, you give it instructions and you tell the system, okay, I want a button and I want it to be, you know, I want it to be at such and such X and Y chords on the screen and all these things that you're describing. And uh, it's different with SwiftUI. You say, hey, I want a button with this text and it'll figure it out. 
And I think um, I think it has a lot of potential to make better apps as well as building them quicker. I say better because it, it manages the state a lot better and we don't have to think about things. You know, in UI kits, you've got to manage state carefully and you've got to always be uh, considerations put in place because, you know, you, you update your data model and then suddenly the UI is stale now because things changed underneath the hood and the UI wasn't notified about it. Um, SwiftUI doesn't give you the chance to do that. It, it kind of enforces that idea from the from the get-go that, hey, you need to consider your model changes up front all the time. And um, that's why I say I think it makes much better apps and it will be Apple's preferred thing going forward. I think they're all in on all of their platforms for it. Yeah, and I mean, they're, they're kind of calling it like multi, I think they're saying it's like their cross-platform solution. I mean, I know it only works on um, like <laughs> Mac um, and iOS, um, which is great. I think people that only are in that landscape, it works pretty well um, to be able to use SwiftUI. But yeah, I, I like what you're saying there in terms of that it is something new. It's a different mindset. You have to think about um, updating um, of, of state and stuff like that. Um, almost reactively. Um, and I think I think even with the introduction of something like Combined, um, this reactive framework from that Apple brought out, almost like the the Rx, um, the Rx of, of pretty much um, of the world um, for, for iOS developers, I think the bringing that native um, support for, for that type of thing is gonna make apps um, a lot better for the future. Yeah, it's 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 actually my belief that if you mentioned combine, which is uh, a core part of SwiftUI, whether you realize it or not at the time when you get out, you know, you're using things like app publish and and those sort of things. You think, okay, cool, I'll just write app publish, and this thing is now going to be uh, useful for me or app observable. But those are actually combined uh, aspects; they're not strictly SwiftUI. And I think the fact that you don't realize that just leads to its strength that you can combine these things so seamlessly and just build a better app. And I believe that SwiftUI with Combine and even uh, with Core Data would make a really powerful app that would be very difficult to make in UI kits on its own with an Rx framework like with Rx Swift or if you go back further with Rx Coco. Um, I think now it's much much more uh, more more possible to make it better. So yeah, man, I think I think that's the future of our offered when it comes to declarative frameworks and building apps in these uh, new modern ways. Yeah, no, I definitely agree, and I feel like I feel like a lot of um, a lot of approaches these days are almost going in the same direction, and I kind of want to segue mm-hmm. to um, Jetpack Compose, where Jetpack Compose is doing something very similar, also bringing mm-hmm. out a very declarative. Um, approach to to doing UI. Um, sometimes um, you could almost feel like you could copy and paste <laughs> um, Swift UI <laughs> and and Jetpack Compose, and it might kind of work. Um, but it's very very similar in terms of its approach, um, in terms of handling state. Where is that something that you um, that you you mentioned? And I think yeah, I think with with Jetpack Compose and Kotlin now, um, obviously being Kotlin first. Um, mm. I think that's going to be a very, very powerful um, tool for Android developers that are maybe coming into the, the market um, as their first job 
and maybe learning. But I think obviously there will still be, if you're working in a big company or on, on an existing code base, you'll kind of still need to know the basics of how these things work. Like you mentioned, UI kit, you might still have to mix and match and like kind of use it all together. Yeah, um, it's actually a good point. So I think you say you can almost copy and paste. You can almost copy and paste between Jetpack and Jetpack Compose and Swift UI. I think uh, like with the text, you, you just remove the on-click listener and that's essentially the same thing. Um, so that that I think that's also a strength actually more than anything because we, we, we're in a country that has um, sort of shortages on developers in, in our landscape. And I think in other parts of the world suffer the same thing where you have very strong Android presence or you have a very strong iOS presence depending on where you are. But if we're all writing in these declarative frameworks, it's not such a big learning curve to switch between them. So I think that would also play out well. So I could write all in Jetpack Compose and then all I need to know is adjust the syntax slightly for SwiftUI. Um, and sure, you, you need to know about the platforms, but that's not as a steep learning curve as it used to be because UIKit was a different beast to uh, yeah, Android's yeah. native views. So I think that's also going to be pretty pretty powerful going forward is allow us to also switch between platforms a bit better as developers. Yeah, yeah. I think as mobile developers, we, we're probably going to become a lot more, um, I guess, like cross-platform developers in a sense. Um, mm. Maybe, obviously, the word cross-platform, people think of, of different types of frameworks and stuff like that. But I mean, just being able to develop on on two different platforms with with ease, I think um, this new approach to for especially UI um, and making it a lot easier is going to be a great uh, venture for the up and coming developers, but also the more seasoned developers that are out there. Yeah, and the same goes for um, Jetpack Compose being you know Kotlin first, and if we speak about Kotlin for just a bit, it's syntactically very similar to Swift as well. So there, the, the, the lines are a bit blurred, and, and it makes it a bit easier to switch between the two. Yeah, no, definitely agree. Like, I mean, I think I think even concepts within Kotlin and concepts within Swift are, are becoming very similar, um, mm. and I think it just makes it a lot easier for developers to go between one um, framework to another framework and still being able to implement the same type of logic, let's say, um, within a different framework um, or within a different platform completely um, because they kind of have the same features um, and all of those type of things. Um, and one that comes to mind is like extensions, extension functions. Like we just never used to have it back in the days. Like we were like writing all these helper functions and all of these things um, and all these static things, whatever, all over the place. And now we just have like these extensions that we can add on to strings or whatever if we want to. And then on in Kotlin, we can kind of do something similar. Um, we also have extension functions there, um, which we can do. Um, so like just features like that kind of like enhance our ability to kind of like jump between platforms and still have like almost like feature parity. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think uh, if, we, if we circle back quickly to the state of mobile development for 2021, I think a nice concise way to put it is we're all becoming more mobile developers and not an iOS developer or an Android developer, just a mobile developer. And I think that's that's a great future to be in. Yeah, no, definitely. I definitely agree. But even moving on to, um, we're speaking a little bit about cross-platform cross development. Um, mm -hmm. There's there's obviously 
big frameworks in the race here to kind of win developers' hearts. Um, and I think one of the biggest ones, one of the biggest ones these days is Flutter. Um, mm-hmm. There's obviously React Native. Um, I don't know. I feel like in the South African landscape, um, uh, React Native is not that big. Um, from from my understanding or from what I've seen in the in the workplace over the last few years. But I mean, people are experimenting with it. People are creating um, apps and stuff. And maybe overseas, um, in other countries, people are looking at React Native um, as, a, as another solution. And then there's also like PWA, let's say, um, just to throw a little bit more web in there um, sure. as, as a platform. But I mean, from a Flutter perspective, like what's your thoughts on, on Flutter going forward? I think, um, personally, I feel that Flutter will gain some traction, but I'm, I'm sort of thinking, okay, well, will Google get tired of Flutter? Because they also have a habit of just abandoning these projects. And uh, I hope that's not the case of Flutter. I think, uh, I think the mobile development landscape needs all of these different technologies to push us forward. And, and uh, competitiveness is always great. But uh, Flutter has its pros, and I think it has a lot of potential. Um, personally, I probably wouldn't choose it uh, going forward, depending on what project I'm working with, just because... Uh, I think that there are better solutions out there at the moment, but in in a, I'll say in a nutshell, I think Flutter definitely has potential, and I hope that Google don't abandon it like it has some of its other projects. Uh, yeah, I think I think when it comes to for me, I would I would say that when it comes to something like Flutter, I think like let's say in South Africa, for instance, is that. There's not a lot of developers out there um, in terms of like Flutter developers or Dart developers. It's never been a mainstream language. um, And let's say it's never really been a situation where uh, we we kind of just have an abundance of Flutter developers. And I think when we when I think about Flutter, this is just kind of my personal opinion, is that it's a great framework. Um, It does stuff. It does stuff well in terms of like creating um, like being able to give developers to create on both platforms using one language and all of that. But I think if you're ever going to put it out there as a framework for a company to use, um, maybe at, you might have some, like, you might have some problems hiring Flutter developers um, over time. And I think also you might have a problem also having um, people that have been a lot more experienced within these frameworks mm-hmm. Um, you could just yeah, have someone so. that has done a random course on it for like one year, mm. and then I guess they're the senior developer at this point. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I think I think that's definitely um, something a business would need to take into consideration, especially for the risk, because you make a good point. We don't have many uh, flatter developers, and if we do, they're still very green in that field. So is this a project that you want to take on? with that risk. And I'm not so sure a lot of companies do because finding skills of that stuff is even you know more of a niche than finding uh, iOS and Android developers as, a, as already is difficult. So I think, yeah, that's a very, I think that's the main sort of uh, hurdle that needs to be overcome is for that, for that to become a popular choice amongst businesses and just normal uh, mobile development. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think developers also need to kind of get to the point where they want to be building things in Flutter, and I think I think slowly over time it will get there. I mean, mm. they've had like what, like I don't know, thirteen years of iOS and like eleven years of Android, mm. um, and then like <laughs> we've had like maybe two or three years of Flutter now. 
Um, right. So like at the end of the day, I think I think it's just kind of the maturity of these specific frameworks and stuff like that. Um, and then also like yeah. I guess maybe long term support even um for for these for these frameworks in terms of like let's say third party libraries and all of those type of things also yeah um from a developer's perspective uh i don't know about anyone else but for me personally i I don't have the motivation to learn flutter because of a few factors actually and one we touched on already is not a lot of people or businesses are wanting flutter developers at the moment because it's sort of like a circle that feeds itself. No one wants Flutter developers because uh, there aren't that many around or because, you know, the projects aren't uh, or are too high risk for it. And so companies go and say, okay, cool, we're not going to do our project in Flutter because there aren't any developers for Flutter. And developers are going, well, we're not going to write in Flutter because there aren't any many, many companies asking for it. So it's that's my experience in it in, in any way. So I think that's also another issue uh, when it comes to it. And from a developer's perspective, the motivation isn't there uh, to learn it unless you're that one developer who's got that one opportunity to do it because the company that you are currently in wants to do it. Then that's how you probably get into it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think definitely it can be a really great framework, um, and I think it can it can boost um, companies to a certain standpoint. Like let's say they they're getting into a point where. They, they kind of need someone to kind of build their first version of the app and they kind of willing to maybe retrofit, maybe retrofit it in. I mean, Flutter can be used within native apps also um, mm. and vice versa. Um, you can have native libraries that you write and put it into Flutter. I think that that even then just segues me into like the React Native side of things where, I mean, I have never done React Native um, I know that it seems like it's popular all over the world. Um, people seem to be um, loving React Native. Um, mm. And I think also because there's quite a big web presence um, where there's a lot of people that love JavaScript and TypeScript and they and they would love to also do mobile and they can use those skills within um, mobile. So like I think React Native then brings that you know, that, that kind of like product to people. Um, mm. But then I always, I always think back on the um the airbnb um articles that came out where um that yes. where people are where react native is this thing where you know they built this whole product on and mm. for me the one of the key points within there was just the fact that developers um had to pretty much write multiple languages so like you could be writing type strip for one um, pull request and then you're jumping into writing some swift code and then all of a sudden you're jumping into writing some kotlin or java code um just to kind of make one specific feature work um where you could kind of just have like native devs that are kind of dedicated to being able to get a specific thing done mm. i think that for me was the only thing about like cross-platform where you where you end up having to still write some kind of native stuff when things don't kind of like work in that specific realm yeah um those articles are actually a really good uh starting point when you kind of when you start thinking about react native and, and how how it's been developed and as much controversy as those articles caused in in the development world they had some very good points that I don't think a lot of companies talk about when they do go down that route because sometimes companies don't want to admit that it was a great success or it wasn't, whichever way. Um, for me, yeah. those articles really um, sort of 
took away the myth of writing once and deploying everywhere. So um, you have a single code base and you can just deploy this on your apps and on Android and iOS and be great and uh, where we go. Uh, for them, I think, you know, the one, like I mentioned, what actually happens in reality is you write the one code base, but then you've got to start writing bridging stuff. So to get over to the other side and start, it was also like you mentioned TypeScript and then suddenly your developers are doing a lot more than just mobile development. Suddenly we're writing bridging code. Suddenly we're doing, we're in pull requests trying to get stuff to work. And then we start taking away from what the promises of that framework is the speed. Now we're starting to slow down because we're starting to tweak for these different platforms and we're not supporting two code bases anymore or one code base. We're now supporting three code bases. So that's, that really highlighted uh, some of the shortcomings of Reactive. And of course, it's, you know, it's hugely successful in other aspects. And I think in Airbnb's case, it wasn't the right choice for them. And hence then sunsetting it in 2018 and deciding, hey, let's just go native and, and, and continue. It's not to say that React Native isn't the right choice 100% of the time. A lot of the times it's the right choice. If you want to have a, an app out there very quickly, um, I would almost always go down that route and say, do it in React Native if that suits your goals. So it definitely has a place and it definitely has its its pros. No, definitely. And I think hmm. I think for for me, um, like it might even sound like a little bit like at least myself, like I'm a little bit more biased towards native. Um, because I've obviously been doing native for a very long time, um, but I have tried out multiple um, multiple frameworks um, when it comes to cross-platform, um, and I felt like cross-platform does definitely serve a purpose. Um, I just think that I think in this day and age, um, if you're doing very simple apps where you're pretty much just writing some data from some JSON, you're pulling some JSON into your application, and you displaying it on a list of, of people's data or something um, like, I don't know, a to-do list app or something, then, I mean, you know, th th that might be a cool route for you to go that way because it's very mm -hmm. simple. But I think as soon as you start getting to a point where you're working with the hardware of the device, where you're trying to connect to, let's say, some headphones through Bluetooth and you need to mm -hmm. create some kind of thing over there, then it becomes a little bit more difficult. I think if you're working with any kind of media, I think I think uh, Apple and Google have probably done a really great job to um, create native support um, at probably very low levels also, at probably C++ level. Um, mm. And I think then trying to get that then to work as part of um, like React Native and Flutter might be challenging for the average developer where it might be really nice for the average developer to just be able to get into a framework like let's say um, AV Foundation and be able to use very high level functions to make specific things work, um, which is really, really nice. So I think, I think for me, that's kind of where um, it kind of falls in for me. I think like you mentioned, um, they all have a place. Um, yeah. But I think I think it, it just depends on what you're going to be doing with your app. Yeah, it's a good point because if you, like you mentioned, especially when you're starting to look at uh, accessing hardware stuff on the device, then you really do need to consider uh, the costs involved when you start going React Native there because suddenly those costs don't make sense because the argument is always this is, native is more expensive than, than cross-platform because you need two sets of, of developers or teams. Sure, 
But at the same time, if you decide to go down the RX route and you haven't considered things like the hardware access and the amount of development time it will take, because like you say, you want to reach AD Foundation or on Apple's platforms, uh, you want to go down to Core ML and these low level stuff. It will take work. It'll take a lot of work and, and work is, is time and time is money. And I think eventually, if that's your, if that's your goal for your app, React is probably or cross platform being flat is probably not the right choice. But if you just want a very quick app, then it might be the right choice. I still would argue that uh, what we spoke about in the beginning with, with these other uh, declarative stuff and Swift UI, I think they are starting to make a stronger case for native and a lesser case for, Re- for React. Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, I think that's, that's just kind of like um, kind of just the landscape now. We have so many mm-hmm. tools to do. Um, whatever we want to, um, and I think I think competition is always good. Like I love that. Like we we have these cross platform um, frameworks challenging um, the native platforms. Um, we would say um, just so that like they can also up their game. I mean, at the end of the day, so that they can give us better tools. Um, because I think mm-hmm. if we start looking towards um, using this cross platform. Um, tools and then the developer communities kind of move towards that um, from a native point to um, cross-platform, I think that might also just take a lot away from, um, from um, I guess, these these bigger native platforms um, and the work that they're doing. And I mean, they're doing amazing work and that's the thing. So that, that's, what, that's what I like about this whole thing is that like, it's almost like you're only giving, only us as developers are, are, are pretty much like just getting the best of the best because of these um, all these frameworks actually going up against each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we are certainly the, one of the winners in this in this war, so to speak, of React Native or cross-platform versus native. At the end of the day, uh, regardless of where you fall along those, those uh, let's say, battle lines almost, um, we get better tooling, we get better apps, and um, it all comes down to what suits you and your particular goals for your app or your business needs. Um, the great thing is that there's so so much choice and we're not limited to just native and only native or only uh, cross-platform stuff. We we have greater choice now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I kind of want to then move into also um, something that I guess people are calling more um, multi-platform, um, which is kind of the whole Kotlin multi-platform um, situation. So like, Recently, I saw a tweet where someone was asking, um, so we have Android developers, and when we say Kotlin multi-platform, all the Android developers are like, yes, I'd love to work on it. And then you ask an iOS engineer, um, yo, like, do you want to come and work on this um, Kotlin multi-platform thing? And they're just like, no. Like, <laughs> whereas, I mean... And it's and then it's like how do you get the iOS developers to then kind of try and work on this multi-platform thing? And my my first answer would be probably tell them they could probably do Swift UI because Swift UI is so new that a lot of companies haven't gone that way yet. They're still kind of um, relying on UI kit um, for a lot more things. But now you kind of have like this Kotlin multi-platform thing that can you can write your business logic layer in Kotlin. Um, you can then do Jetpack Compose for your UI on Android, and you can do um, Swift UI um, as your um, your UI um, for iOS. Um, where where do you think where do you think this is going? 
Um, because this kind mm. of this almost feels like a bit of a Xamarin situation. It's just that like you you're not um you're not particularly you still get to write some native code on both sides. Um, and then for Android, it seems like there's more native <laughs> implementation <laughs> yeah. um, because mm. you get to write the business logic in Kotlin. Yeah, uh, I actually think this is like, it's a nice sort of in between what with the two previous discussions that we had with, with the React Native versus the native. I think this, this for me sits much more comfortably in where I think apps are going. And if I could have my business logic the same on both platforms, which is, the goal of what a lot of cross-platform strives is all right, is we want to try and write business logic or you, some cases UI logic once. And I think it's much easier to write the business logic once. And I think uh, Cotton Multi-Platform is a great way to solve that problem. I, th- I really do think that if you're considering an app where you have business logic that's the same, but we're only going to have UI logic where you want Swift UI or Jetpack Compose, then this is probably one of the ways you could do it. And I think it's a really clean way to do it as well because you still have the, the positives of native development. Um, you just pull in your, your business logic into your project and you start writing your UI layer on top of that. And essentially it's the same thing what we've all been doing. We pull in dependencies and we use them and away we go and we still use our favorite IDE of, uh, of the day. So I think, I think it's a really powerful way to do it. And I also think that uh, to get more Swift developers or engineers or iOS engineers onto um, onto the platform, I think it really depends. Because again, like for me personally, I don't know if I would write if I would actually go and do content multi-platform. There'd have to be a motivation for it. And if I'm just an indie developer with my one to-do list app, then probably not. Uh, I think I think where this this technology will shine actually will be from a I want to say business, but more tech lead perspective. If I know that I can get my team to write uh, an app in, in, in the best way that they know how to, being with Jetpack Compose or SwiftUI, and then we just have a separate team to do the business layer, that's really attractive because I know that we're not going to slow down. I know that we're going to retain the native pros of, of mobile development. And at the same time, we can get our developers to contribute to the business layer because as we said earlier, Kotlin and Swift are very close to each other. So again, the learning curve is not not as steep. So I think it depends as with a lot of things. It depends on how you get somebody onto that technology. But it shows a lot of promise. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like I think I think Kotlin multi-platform for me um is just one of those things that it just seems like it's almost the one that that we've almost been waiting to to rival native exactly, because yes. it still gives us a little <laughs> bit of native mm-hmm. where we can still be like, okay, cool. Like I really do like Swift and I do. And Kotlin's also like really cool from an iOS perspective. And then mm-hmm. from an Android perspective, like um, Android developers love Kotlin. Um, and so like going all the way down the stack um, is kind of just a given. And I think all the right. tooling that JetBrains is kind of bringing out um, especially with things like coroutines now that are that's helping with um, multi-threading and all of those type of things. I think that's gonna that's pretty much gonna help um, make things a lot easier. And I think the the, the mm-hmm. concepts and the implementation of these of these new things that JetBrains JetBrains is bringing out um, is is definitely helping the the approach of Kotlin, Kotlin multi-platform. Um, 
to be one of those rivals for Native at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. And I think also another powerful aspect of, of uh, Kotlin multi-platform, and you say it's Kotlin first, and of course that means Android Studio first. However, you can have it in Xcode as well. You can have your Kotlin multi-platform module there where you can debug it, recompile it, edit it as well um, with a plugin. So it really does lead to the strengths of what we native developers prefer as our native tools. And that's really attractive suddenly. I can still use Xcode and still use this Kotlin multi-platform and edit it and compile it. So there's less reason to resist it. And I think I think it's definitely uh, one, like you said, it's one of those things we've almost been waiting for, something we can use for business logic and still use native components. And that's that's really attractive. Yeah, definitely. And mm-hmm. I think I think that that kind of even just brings me to a question that probably a lot of people think about, especially new developers coming into the market um, and coming into like um, software engineering jobs, let's say for mobile. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people ask the question, um, even on Twitter or to other people in the within the community, is Objective-C dead? Do I need to learn Objective-C? And mm-hmm. is Java dead? Do I need to learn Java to be an Android developer? Um, well, well, what's your opinion on this? I think uh, it's a good question, actually, because those are the things that you, as a new developer, you, you will come across. And, and then you think to yourself, okay, well, I put all these technologies I need to learn and that, that hill to climb might seem very steep. And okay, I've got, now from an Android perspective, I've got Java, I've got Kotlin and then the Android SDK. And then from an iOS perspective, I've got Objective-C, Swift and then the iOS SDK. And then, yeah, you think, okay, well, this is like so much. Do I need to really pay attention to those older languages? Um, no, they're definitely not dead. Um, I think Objective-C will be with us for many more years. And I think Java is definitely not going away because it's such a multi-purpose uh, language that we use wherever. I do think as a new developer coming in onto the mobile space, you should at least be familiar with them. I don't I don't think it's uh, a good use of time to go and study them and read a ton of books and get really deep down because we're moving so fast now in mobile development that those languages you probably will come across in older projects and you should at least know enough to get your way around it and, and be able to read it and uh, and probably solve a few issues in them. But I, if I was starting mobile development today, I would tackle it like this. I would go and find out the very basics of, of those languages, how, how properties declared, how do I create a new object and uh, what happens if I try and send mail to an object and just to at least know those and then move on to the new languages because as time goes on, we will be in those languages less and less in mobile development. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. So like, I, I would say, I would say pretty much the same thing. Like, mm. I think those languages are definitely not dead. I think if you looking at working at like big companies, let's say, um, like, I don't know, the, the big tech companies, I think most of them um, don't even use um, some of the newer languages, especially on like Android. I think, I once read an article, and I guess this is quote-unquote, um, I'm not really sure, um, but I think I think at the end of the day, I don't think Uber does Kotlin yet. Um, I think everything that they do is still in Java. So mm. I think if you're trying to go and work at, let's say, Uber, um, I could be wrong. Um, mm. Maybe someone will, will um, correct me, 
but I think they still pretty much like do Java and it's their most of their code base is Java. I think Facebook is also the same. It's mostly Java code base. I don't think they're obviously probably moving towards it. Um, but I think they have a lot of tooling and stuff like that built around um, the, the language itself also. Um, so I think, I think um, these things are relevant still. And I mean, I think if you work in any existing project, I think it's kind of even similar to this new way of thinking where we have Jetpack Compose. It's almost like the, the same argument, like we have Jetpack Compose and we have SwiftUI. Should I even learn how XML files and constraint layout works in Android? And should I learn auto layout um, and storyboards for, for iOS? Um, for the UI, because now we have Swift UI, I think I definitely think the the whole situation around um, knowing these older, let's say we we call them older, but they're still getting new features, um, especially from the yeah. UI UI kit from iOS point of view. We're still getting new features there, but um, from an older approach, let's say, um, I definitely think that it is definitely still relevant for people to know. Um, and I think it will only advance them in their career when they start needing to solve um, a lot more complex problems um, that might have been there um, within a code base that they might end up working in. And it might be some legacy code that they need to fix and it could be quite complex. Um, so knowing Objective-C and knowing Java, um, I think is definitely still relevant in 2020. But I think definitely a lot of a lot of companies are probably moving towards Swift and, and Kotlin as their, let's say, um, first-class citizen language, and they're moving forward with new features in these languages um, and kind of leaving the Java and Objective-C as part of some legacy code. Um, except, I mean, obviously, if you kind of like, I guess, work on the... Um, the Objective C compiler or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah, those are good points. And I think a large part of our big tech companies, especially in, in my experience with some of the work that I do, um, is the approach is this: is we take a large project, let's say uh, your Ubers or whatever, and they've built this app over many, many years. So you don't want to throw away all that code because that code works, it's tested, it's been proven itself. Um, the, the approach is more, okay, well, if we have a new feature that we're going to write, then we're going to use this new language, be it Kotlin, be it Swift, um, and then slowly migrate like that, where you just slowly add new stuff and build up your code base. And what actually happens is at some point in time, all your stuff is Swift or it's Kotlin and you have the old legacy stuff. So that's where it's important to know that that sort of thing as a developer because you might get hired at an Uber, uh, to use your example, and you might be required to fix a bug on an old feature. Um, so you're going to need to know at least how to get a, your, your way around that language and be able to understand what's going on. And then you touched on a bit about SwiftUI uh, or um, Jetpack Compose and the alternatives being UIKit and just your Android XML layouts or that sort of thing. And I think the same question you hear time and time again is, okay, well, I'm, do I really need to know UIKit? Can I just go straight to SwiftUI or can I go straight into Jetpack Compose? And I think it's the same argument almost. Um, I think it's more important to know UIKit. It's more important to know the legacy Android stuff as well because I want to say legacy, but it's it's not really, but it's it'll go there eventually. Yeah, um, yeah but it's, it's more important to know those actually because 
um, on SwiftUI, for example, you can only use that from iOS 13 onwards. You can't use that uh, on iOS 12 and below. And a lot of companies, for business reasons, still support iOS 11 and iOS 12. So you as a developer need to be very comfortable in UIKit or uh, Android uh, views and XMLs. And I think starting out, yes, learn those things so you understand what the problems that SwiftUI are trying to solve and Jetpack Composer is trying to uh, solve as well. I think that's important to understand why these frameworks exist as well, give you a better understanding of where they are so powerful. No, definitely. And mm -hmm. I even think, I think that, that that's a really good point. And I think if anybody takes away anything um, from this whole podcast, I think though those are quite valid points of um, if you're new into mobile development, make sure that you do um, not only just jump into what's new, but also look at what's been there because, I mean, you might get to a point where you do need to um, know these, let's say, um, more aged languages, let me put it that <laughs> <Sure>. way, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and more aged concepts or um, SDKs itself in order for you to um, kind of um, be, be more, um, I what's the word, like, be, be a little bit more um, helpful well um, with it, well-rounded in, in this mm -hmm. whole in this whole ecosystem itself. Um, and one of the things I was even thinking about was um, desktop development. So mm -hmm. with, with SwiftUI and Jetpack Compose, all of a sudden, I've, I've kind of seen that there's all of a sudden desktop support. And I was like, amongst mobile developers, is like desktop development coming back like, <laughs> because i mean like now we can kind of like write our code base in swift ui and then mm. just kind of like make a few changes to make it work on mac os and mm. then all of a sudden we can do the same um with jetpack compose what do you think what do you think is happening here like i feel like um do we all just become um desktop developers also um <laughs> like where, where do you think yeah. that's going I think um, especially like from the likes of like Apple as well and, and Google with, with the way they're going, it almost seems like they have the same visions. And I see it like this. I think you're, if you're an iOS engineer, you're going to become not an iOS engineer. You're going to become an Apple platform engineer. And I think Apple are going to great lengths to make it easy enough to do that. If you look at the most really recent developments is the, the Apple Silicon with the M1 MacBooks and Macs. It's now possible to write an app that was fully developed for iOS, and then with a, I'll say, just a tick on Xcode, uh, you can make yeah. this app run almost natively, actually, on your uh, M1 Mac. And I, I think that's really, really powerful. Um, but the same goes for SwiftUI and Jetpack Compose and um, Compose Desktop. Is the idea is that we can abstract away the business logic away from that UI layer, and once we do that, then we can get to a place where this UI uh, logic becomes sort of almost, uh, I want to say device independent, but not platform independent. So as an example on Swift UI, for example, you can say, I want a, a simple to-do list app and I want a button at the top, I want swipe to delete, and if I tap on a row, it must go to a new screen. Those, all, those things all work well on an iOS device. Don't particularly work well on an Apple Watch or a TV, Apple TV. However, SwiftUI comes to the party here and goes, well, you told me what you want. I'll 
figure out what that means on a watch. I'll figure out what that means on the TV and on the desktop as well on uh, on Mac OS. And that's that's where these frameworks are really going to shine is because developers no longer have to clutter our code with if statements and compile it down to different uh, binaries for different platforms. We just go, hey, we want a app that does X, Y, and Z, and it should look like this. And the system will figure out what that means. What does a swipe to delete mean on watch? Or what does a done button in the top left-hand corner mean on a Apple TV or your Mac OS? I think that's really where we go into this world where we become platform developers rather than specific uh, iOS or Android developers. Yeah, I think that's very interesting, actually. Like, I didn't... Like the the word platform um, is is pretty interesting, just because mm. at the end of the day, you you kind of see yourself as this um, either this like Android developer, and I work on this, um, or mm. you see yourself as this iOS developer, and I work on iOS, and then there's macOS developers, and then there's you know desktop developers, and there's backend developers. But I mean now, I think these languages um, and these frameworks are getting a lot better. Uh, to kind of give us a bigger landscape of of um, development, almost like a development playground. We can kind of just mm. like write the code that we're so used to writing and just be able to almost deploy it anywhere. And I think it, that even comes back down to like what people have been trying to do with cross-platform, write once, deploy everywhere. Um, but mm. now it's kind of coming, instead of it's coming from languages, um, uh, that are bringing bring that support to us, um, and then these these more cross-platform um, or yeah, let's say platform um, frameworks that are helping us actually get this across. Yeah, and I think I think that's a, a really cool place to be. in, actually, you know, I can I can write an app today, and I say to do this app is a nice example. Um, I don't have to think too much about how that app works on uh, the desktop. Or how does it work on my iPad? Or how does it work on uh, my iPhone? And the same goes for the Android equivalent and where we have it on, on our watches and our, on our tablets and that. And I think that's a really cool place to be. And like I said, that's moving more towards the platform that you would like to support. So being an Android uh, engineer, you can say, well, I want to develop for all things Google. And I think Google are going to great lengths to make it easy enough and the same is true for for Apple. You know, they are focusing heavily on platform development rather than specific uh, model development. So, um, I can write an app today. And when we speak of actually going to the previous discussion about cotton multi-platform, it becomes you start to see this nice picture in my. That's how I see. It. I see this nice picture developing where cool. I can have my business logic separated, and then I can now write this, this thing in Swift UI and I can have it on all of Apple's devices. I don't have to worry too much about how those things work on those devices. I just know it works. And the same thing goes for Kotlin now. And I've got the business layer there, so the developers are even happier because it's all Kotlin. And now I've got the Jetpack Compose. And suddenly we're in this world where we can just deploy our app to these different platforms. And from a developer perspective, that's great. From a business perspective, even better because now I don't have to spend resources on actually having a development team to write the app for Mac OS. I just know that my platform developers are probably capable of doing this because Apple and Google support it you know, as first-class citizens. And that's been the promise, I feel like, for cross-platform frameworks for many years. And I think Native might be starting to solve the problem better. 
Yeah, that's yeah, it's a very interesting approach, and I think I think it's definitely happening. But I guess we will kind of see um, it unfold um, in the I guess coming years, um, mm. or maybe in the coming months. We we never know what um, what might happen um, in the future in the months coming ahead. I mean, at the end of the day, like I, I once uh, I read a tweet a few months back, um, and it's kind of like stuck with me. Um, and it was it was just like someone saying that I think we we're, we're all fighting about all these things with Android and iOS and whatever and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But we're all just going to end up being web developers <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day. Like at some point, like we're all just be ending up mm. like no matter, no matter if you, you know, like JavaScript or TypeScript, probably mm. in the next, I don't know, maybe like five, 10 years, we'll all just all be um, web developers and um, everything will be, um, web focused because that's pretty much the biggest platform. What's your thoughts on on being a web developer in ten years? <laughs> I mean, I might go and find a different career. <laughs> that's the case. <laughs> uh, but uh, not so sure. Maybe, but uh, I hope that's not the future. I think, I think, um, I think there is a there is space for both to exist. It doesn't have to be a zero sum game. You know, you have different technologies to solve different problems and the web works really well for the desktop and not so much for a mobile device so i think i think we might actually get to a world where we can do i want to say both very well but we're comfortable doing them because suddenly we can be again on the platform side of things and make make great apps but we may also get to a point where you know things with like uh, the cotton multi-platform stuff and start doing more business logic that's um, not so heavily reliant or coupled to a UI layer, suddenly we can, you know, sort of break into the web development side of things much easier, I think. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope there's not just one or the other. I hope there's still room for both in, in 10 years' time. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought it was just something, like, random um, that, that somebody random. said. And I was like, yeah, I was just like, hey, you never know what might happen. Someone mm-hmm. might just... Um, we might just all just end up being web developers and we'll be like, mm. okay, I guess that's where we, we ended up. Um, back, to, back, to yeah, <laughs> back to PWAs only. Back to PWAs only. But yeah, I think I think the uh, just something else that I, I kind of wanted to cover um, within mobile development, which I've kind of seen um, over the years, um, which is open source versus building it yourself. Um, I think this is a very interesting topic um, around mobile development. And I think, and the reason for that is that I, I've had the opportunity to work on Android projects and iOS projects. Um, mm. And what I've noticed in the iOS community, people love building it themselves or they kind of only really trust like what Apple um, kind of provides through the SDK. So that's where they would end up just hey, I need an XML parser and Apple doesn't provide one. So let's just build it ourselves within Swift instead mm. of kind of um, trying to find a library um, out there and stuff like that. I feel like from an iOS community perspective, I feel like people don't trust open source as much in terms of like putting it in their big projects. Whereas on the Android side, I think there is a lot more love for um, open source libraries. Um, I think mm. that it... Um, people see it as um, using these libraries that will make things go a lot quicker um, mm. in the interim. Uh, but then I think it also comes down to that maybe some things in Android are really hard to do. Um, mm. 
I think one of my, a simple example, I would say um, chatting to, to somebody recently um, around um, Android. Why do the person asked me, why did, why does it in Android, do people use a library to pretty much show an image like using <laughs> Glide? And then like in iOS, like people are just like, I don't understand. You just get like the data and then you put in a data object and then you just mm. put it in UI image and it just, everything just works. Like, there's no like, and then I'm like, okay, cool. But if you look at look at it, it's like you know, there's buffered readers and this and that, and mm. you know, all, all the all the crazy stuff underneath that. Um, but also being able to do it asynchronously and all of those things. Um, they just mm. give you a really nice API to be able to fetch something from a URL, um, and then put it into an image view, and then they do all the abstraction. Whereas on iOS, the API is very simple. Um, mm. yeah, like, oh, well, what are your thoughts around like? Um, the this kind of like open source versus doing it yourself because I think that's a quite a big thing within um, the two camps I would say um, from um, that I've seen but in particular from Android hmm. and iOS. I think uh, what first thing that comes to mind is don't reinvent the wheel. I think that's that's the first thing I think of, um, and it's a good point. Um, I think historically speaking, like in my experience with uh, third party stuff in in apps. We tend to only go to them if you really, really, really need it. Um, and on the Android side of things, it, it seems to be sometimes the first point of call because, like you mentioned, some things in on Android are just, for whatever reason, more difficult to do and no need to support. A good example I can think of, though, for iOS, uh, where it's improved and the reason why we probably don't favor the open source stuff as much is if we take networking, the, the basics of, of any app that's that's remotely useful needs networking. And back in the day, URL session was hard. I mean, that API just, it was just difficult. And the go-to in Objective-C land was, you know, AF networking. Uh, Mike and, and the team, they did such a great job of building that out that there was no reason to use the first classes. And, uh, and later on, when Swift came about, what actually happened is Apple Apple engineers spent a bunch of time on URL session, and um, so did so did AF. It it, it went to uh, Alamo Fire, and now today URL session is so good, there isn't a reason to use uh, a third party framework like AF Network or Alamo Fire because we get what we need out of it for the most part from URL session. In this example, only if you really need to go and do uh, a lot like patch and, and post and delete and those sort of operations in more complex apps, then you might say, okay, cool, I'll just use LMFI and put a wrapper around it because it'll save me a bunch of time. I could probably write it myself, but you know what? That framework is popular enough that I'll do it. So I think, it, like with most things, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. And I think also you need to accept or be aware of the risks of open source. It's a great community and we wouldn't have Swift where it is today, for example, without open source. But at the same time, it's open source, right? So it comes with no guarantees. So it could change. and You could have a, a library that you depend on so heavily in your app. Suddenly it's no longer maintained. Suddenly there's bugs introduced in the last version and there's no one around to fix those bugs. That's a risk as well. And I think people also need to consider those sort of things. And if you're if you're prepared to take those risks, then great. And even better, if you're prepared to fix those issues there when they do come up and contribute to the open source community, we'll be in a much better place as well. So 
I think it depends, like I say, in a nutshell, um, where you are and what are the what are your goals for using them. Yeah, I definitely think I think at this point, like if you're if you're using a library, I mean it's not a must, of course, but I think hmm. you you almost need to think about it like just kind of be willing to uh like contribute or support the the library or actually the developers. Um, and I love this new this new feature that GitHub has where you can like support developers for projects that you use so that it actually yeah. makes developers that are working on it want to maintain it. We're not just using it for free um, because at the end of the day, I do think that um, open source development at the end of the day takes up some um, developers time um, and like their, their resources um, in terms of like um, like their money maybe or something like that to so let's say host something or whatever um, and at the end of the day I definitely think that you know um, the the contribution that let's say organizations like GitHub is doing to to help um, at least companies and other developers support open source projects I think that might be really really awesome um, but I, I'm guessing like literally like you mentioned like the networking thing is is very similar. Um, where people do think like, why do you even need AF networking um, or Alamo Fire these days? But I mean, I would my my biggest thing there would be like, if you want to implement like crazy security stuff, um, they they've done it really really well. You don't have to go and reinvent the wheel there. But if you're yeah. just making a GET request and you're pulling in a full library that has um, like hundreds of files in there, maybe, um, so you're just kind of like bloating your application for no reason. Mm. Um, just to make a service call, I think I think that's kind of where it kind of gets a little bit crazy. Um, but I think I do. I definitely think that, like, from an Android perspective, Google does also make a lot of first-party libraries, um, mm. and obviously they just they just don't bundle it with the um, with the the whole SDK, um, just so that they can constantly be working on it. And they don't have to release a new SDK in order to um, update that specific thing. Um, so they can update it independently whenever they want to, um, which also is really, really nice also. So I think there's mm. a lot of first-party libraries from, obviously, the platform teams um, from at Google also. But I think definitely think that there's more of a community um, mm. a community reliance when it comes to um, some, some stuff on Android. People love using libraries on Android. Um, I thought mm. that was a really interesting conversation. Actually, that's a that's a very good point you make there with with Google. Uh, it just shows you the two different approaches. Because if you want something new in iOS, you got to wait for the new version, um, and then you will get an updated SwiftUI API. You'll get an updated your session API and and combine all these things because it's it's a package deal. And on Google, I think that's why the 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 community on open source is so much more there because everything can be a library and is a library if you don't want Jetpack Compose in your app and you don't want um, all these other things and you don't have to include it in, in the build. Um, you can just not include it and your app will be smaller for it. Um, and you don't really get that option on iOS. And I think that's why Android developers are probably more open to the idea because everything's a library and everything's a dependency. So if it's not from Google, but from these other uh, well-known developers or, or well-known libraries, so to speak, then it's not so much of a different uh, consideration, I think. I think it's just easier to get there for them because it's just another dependency. Where on on and on iOS, we actually have to be very considerate of that because you've got to start setting up uh, Swift Package Manager or uh, CocoaPods or Carthage or one of these dependencies 
and then put it in um, if it's a if it's a framework. So it takes more effort. So I think that's probably why uh, going back to your original question, why it's so different between the two as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's definitely um, something that will probably go on for the next <laughs> few years, where people will probably also be discussing it. Um, I think mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting, and I think even even when it comes to stuff like stable versus alpha, um, I feel like some people just will not use um, alpha software at all in their mm-hmm. applications, and other people would be very keen to 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 use it. Um, but I think when it comes to obviously big businesses, even like generally people go for stable software, even if even if um, the first party framework people say, hey, this alpha or beta version is kind mm-hmm. of at a stable point. Like they'll probably be like, I want a 1.0 before I use any of this mm-hmm. within my within my application. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point as well with, with, uh, with alpha versus stable and the two, the two big uh, sort of um, companies here, where we're talking about Google and Apple, again, do it differently, right? So um, anyone who's been in, on an iOS development uh, for a while will know the pain that they experienced from Swift 2 to Swift 3. You know, we had breaking changes, and that really hurt us in a big way. And most people don't want to think about that again when you, when you mention the word alpha. But um, Apple don't really mention that their software is alpha which is also interesting, I think. I mean, Google's very explicit about it. They're, they, you know, they'll tell you, hey, you know, we've got this great Jetpack Compose library, but by the way, it's alpha, so it can break at any point and you take the risks all on your own. And I think that's, I think that's really great to be explicit about it, to say, look, this thing can break and probably will, so use it at your own risk. Um, again, it goes to depend whether you use it or not. It depends on, the, you know, if you're a big business, probably not. Um, because it's time is money there. If you're an indie developer and you want to be on the bleeding edge, uh, as I like to call it, then I'd probably use the Jetpack Composers and SwiftUI and all of these new things because if if it does break, it's not too much of an issue, I want to say, because um, you can fix it and you only have to answer it to yourself because you're the indie dev. But if you're a part of a big team, it's a much tougher decision to go and use Alpha stuff. Yeah, no, for sure. I guess... I guess it, it does come back down to um, obviously you having ownership of that and being able to do all of that. And it's actually a good point also from your side um, around how Apple never ever says that anything is alpha. It's all we get beta SDKs just yeah. um, after WWDC to try things out and they're working on things. Um, but I think I generally think that that's more just to get feedback to see if APIs work as um, people expect them to and all of those type of things. And then from there, they just kind of like ship it to you. And then from there, there's pretty much nothing until you get like your, I guess, uh, 14.2 and 14.3 and then whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they add like new features in there, but nothing is ever in alpha or beta um, where no. they're like, hey, we're releasing <laughs> an alpha version of mm-hmm. core graphics um, that has these features. It's like you just get core graphics and it's always stable. Um, well, according we'll get core to... graphics and, and follow radar. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's very true. And I think that it also sets the expectation when you're using these softwares. And maybe that's why a lot of people got caught out with Swift um, breaking changes. You know, the, the core team at Swift said, you know, look, those changes had to be made. And in hindsight, it was for the better of the language. But 
uh, it caught a lot of people off guard. I think also because they weren't explicit about it that it was alpha. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think I think people are still kind of like burned from that. Like people <laughs> people are very cautious. Like I'm just like. Oh, just update to like Swift um, uh, 5.3 and people are like, no, 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 we need to make, we need to test it and make sure that it, nothing explodes. And you're just like, I think at this point, the language is pretty stable. Um, mm. So like updating like some kind of minor version is not going to be like, okay, cool. Like our, our massive project now has like, I don't know, 10,000 errors that we need to fix. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that that's, that's something, at least from, from that perspective, um, is good. And I think even from Google's perspective, I think they try a lot um, mm. to pretty much make, even from an alpha point of view, they don't try and make too many changes. Um, mm. But I mean, I know with Jetpack Compose, there has been quite a few changes where stuff just disappears from certain <laughs> places and you're like, oh, I wanted to use this thing inside of this modifier and then it's mm. not there anymore. Or, or there was this constructor thing argument and then all of a sudden it's not there. It's mm. You need to set it somewhere else. But I mean, at this point, it's getting to a very stable um, uh, or at least let, let me say consistent um, like um, updates in, in mm. the alpha process, So, which is really, really cool. Yeah, um, and, and so but, Swift does the same thing where they say, well, the, the core team are, are also getting to that point. I think uh, just for, for all our listeners and that you shouldn't be too concerned about the different Swift versions going from Swift 5.1 to I think now Swift 5.4 which is uh, coming out in uh, with Xcode uh, 12.5 is the core team have committed that there aren't going to be any breaking changes in these minor versions so you should be fairly comfortable I think when it comes to Swift 6 then probably some stuff might be there but it's very difficult now if you follow the Swift evolution process it's very difficult to get breaking changes into this language now. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm. I mean, yeah, I think I think we've definitely covered quite a bit of things today. Um, yeah. I think the 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 landscape of um, mobile development is very vast. Um, we've, <laughs> there was so many things we've spoken about. Mm. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that you kind of want to mention out there to the listeners. Um, if there's anything that um, you feel is still important that people need to know um, going forward this year, um, either learning mobile development or mm. um, or going forward in terms of like how they should approach things. Um, yeah, so I think, like you said, it's, the, the landscape is very vast, but it's also very fast moving. It, it changes all the time. And six months from now, some of these things that we're talking about are, are still around or it changed a lot. Um, since since today's recording, but I think uh, if you're, I think we're focusing on on the landscape of things. When if you're new to this landscape, you need to be prepared to put in the, the hours as well to try and not. I don't want to say catch up because that's never a, a goal that you can reach. And even for seasoned engineers, you can never be 100% up to date. Don't feel too discouraged if you're not touching all the greatest shiniest things out there. Um, there are some people who are dedicated to just Swift UI, for example. You can't keep up with them, and you shouldn't have that expectation to. I would say try and focus on one thing. It's being the best developer that you can be, um, but at the same time, not being too distracted with all the shiny stuff, as difficult as that may be. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's, that's great advice. Um, mm -hmm. And I definitely agree that I think no one can know everything 
Um, mm. I actually saw again um, a tweet um, from someone um, today that said um, the ten years ago, ten years ago, um, I searched um, how to regex an email, and then like today, how to regex an email, <laughs> and it's like literally Bye. like you you just can't know everything. Like yeah. um, so, I definitely think. Um, trying to let's say keep up and all of those type of things I think you just got to learn over time um, and make sure you kind of like put in um, the work where you can in order to make sure that you can obviously um, I guess just keep up with the pace of all of these frameworks from from native to all these cross-platform frameworks to multi-platform frameworks I think there's just so much and a vast amount of um, things happening that I think you kind of just have to, you know, just do do what you can when you can, um, which is really really cool. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, I think any great developer, it's a good example you mean about regex because regex is hard, and I'll Google that stuff every time. Mm. Um, but what makes a great developer, in my opinion, uh, it's just my opinion, is that you know where to look to find the answers you seek. Right? You don't necessarily, I don't necessarily know. Jetpack Compose in depth. I know it exists, and I know that that's a, an option available to me when writing uh, Android um, apps. Same thing that I know SwiftUI exists or, or Combine. I think that's what makes a great developer is knowing that these things exist, but not having to spend the time to know them in depth. I'll know them in depth when I need to know them in depth, and when I need to do a project in them, then I can learn them. So. Try not to learn everything up front because that's a never-ending pursuit and you'll probably burn yourself out. But at least, like you say, keep up to date. And, and the best way to do that is you know, following blogs or, or um, you know, even on the Swift forums or all the Android blogs and those sort of things. At least you know what's out there. And I think that's what makes a better developer. Yeah, definitely. I think I think having uh, subscribing to like a Swift Weekly, Android Weekly, Kotlin mm. Weekly, Swift UI Weekly. There's so many out there. Yeah. Maybe I'll even link some of them below for people to go and click on. Um, mm. Just to see like that there, there's um, people are contributing knowledge um, in the community. So um, if they definitely want to go and check that out, they can check it out in the link below. Um, but yeah, man, it's been great having you. Um, I really appreciate the time to come and chat to mm. me about mobile development. Um yeah, where do people find you on social media? Cool. Uh, yeah, it's been great. I've actually really enjoyed the talk that we've had and just finding out where we are with mobile development and, and trying to keep up with that as best as we can. Um, I'm mm-hmm. Most of the time, I'm on Twitter, as we mostly all are, at RJ underscore Clegg. Uh, you'll find me on there most of the time. Okay, awesome, man. Well, yeah, I think thanks so much for coming through um, for chatting. I hope that our listeners um, enjoyed that and I enjoyed it. Um, um, we spoke about some really cool things that I actually haven't even thought about before. But yep. yeah, um, I think it, it was great. And yeah, we'll, we'll chat soon. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on Talking with Apple's podcast. Cheers.